This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. It's so much fun to say that every Sunday. I'm glad I have the privilege of doing that. Uh, so do you folks like buffets? It's, uh, it's 11.35. It's a good time to be thinking of a buffet, isn't it? But I uh, wanted to think about that as the Bible as a buffet. You know, a couple of years ago, Bob and Angelica gave Diane and I a free week in Cancun and walked into this resort, whatever it's called, and they had this thing set up. All these different kinds of chocolate desserts, and I nearly wept. It was really interesting. And of course, I had to try every one of those. Um, the one with, you know, the ones with fruit on top, you could take that fruit and just throw it away. The, you know, the rest of it was pretty good stuff. And we've all uh, been through different buffets. There's Chinese buffets. It's, you know, I like the cat on the stick there, but there's, you know, various other things that, that we go through with. Okay, now, now somebody's going to be offended by that, but. Uh, and <laughs> today's my day to offend. Um, then the, when I lived in Holland, there was a, a Mexican buffet that I frequented because it was economical, and uh, one of my buddies in seminary's uncle owned it, so that was worth another discount. Um, but there's no doubt about it, gluttony is my favorite sin, and so I have to avoid these places because they get me in trouble. But, you know, the concept of a buffet is to pick what you want and leave the rest. You don't have to eat everything that's in a buffet. I don't when I go to them. I want to tell you, I'm proud of the fact I walk right past the salad bar every time. <laughs> None of that green food for me. Just got to get to the meat of things. But you know, there's, there's folks who think of Christianity as a buffet. And the main reason that they come to Christianity usually in name only, is for hell insurance. You know, they don't want to go to hell and they don't want their kids to go to hell. So we've got to go to church. We've got to come to Christianity so God's not mad at us and won't make us spend eternity in hell. That is the main course for a lot of folks. And then, of course, they like to modify the behavior of other people. You know, you shouldn't be living that way. And they'll come to church, kind of be morality police. You shouldn't be living that way because I'm kind of jealous that you could live that way. You know, it's really what's always behind that, those things. And that's kind of scary. People who want to control you are secretly jealous of the way you live. Lots of folks just pick and choose from the Bible and from Christianity what they like about it and ignore the rest. The Treat the Bible as a buffet. Like some parts, but ignore the rest. Some people like the law and order parts of the Old Testament that, you know, give you prescriptions, different things that you can do. Others like the freedom of the New Testament. Well, I'm calling for an understanding of all of it. That makes more sense. Some people like some parts, ignore the rest. We're going to look at that today. So the first question I want to answer is, what is the Bible? And the Bible is a collection of books and letters 
written by dozens of authors over hundreds of years. Now, the early church decided which ones would get in there. So you got the church from like between 300 and 400 AD. They were making these big old decisions. Different synods were, and some of these synods were run by pretty messed up folks. So you got to keep that in mind. One of my favorite stories of what happened around that time is they made the Bishop of Rome into a Pope. And that's when that all got started. And what was so interesting is that there was this Pope who was not happy with his predecessor, tried to overthrow him a few times. Well, his predecessor dies and his enemy becomes the next Pope. But he's not satisfied with that, so he has his predecessor's body exhumed and gives him a posthumous, posthumous trial and actually has his body beheaded and dumped into the river instead of a proper burial because this guy was a heretic of some sort. So that's just, I tell you that story to tell you that the Bible was put together by incredibly human people, just like you and me, just like you and me, Matt. Guys like us put the Bible together. So we've got to understand that. Then the early church decided to incorporate the Jewish Bible, which we call the Old Testament, into the New Testament teaching. They had squabbles about it during the Reformation. Today is Reformation Sunday, you know, the Sunday celebrating when Martin Luther first nailed his objections on a church door. And what happened during the Reformation is they were fighting about what books could stay in the Bible. Luther wanted to eliminate many more than what have been eliminated. But you notice the Catholic Bible is thicker than the Protestant Bible because they kept more of the original books than the Protestants did. We're Protestant, by the way. I always say let's put the protest back in Protestant. But what happened then with the Bible is it was given way more authority, way more authority than what the authors intended to have. And as a result of that today, some people pick certain parts of the Bible and are very inflexible on its interpretation. Don't do that. If there's a part of the Bible you don't like, usually it's because you don't understand it and you don't understand the content or the intention of the author, and that's something you can always work on. The second letter to Timothy, Paul writes some very definitive things about scriptures, and this is what he says. You must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they're true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting Christ Jesus. See, without the Scriptures, we wouldn't know about Jesus. So that's important. The early church gave us a gift by writing all these things down. And we need to work at understanding this gift and use it as it was originally intended, even if we don't agree with it. It gives us wisdom to receive salvation. Now here comes kind of a clobber verse that different folks have used and misused throughout the centuries. That's really cool, I think. All scripture is inspired by God 
and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people for every good work. Now, there's a whole lot in there. First, we're going to take a look at what it says Scripture is. It says that Scripture is inspired by God. Theopneustos, God breathed, is the word that's in the original Greek there. It's useful to teach us truth. Here again, useful is the key word. It's useful to help us see what's wrong in our lives. It teaches us what is right. It's a teaching tool. God uses it to prepare and equip you for good work. That's what it is. Now here is what it is not. All scripture is not without human error. It's a big deal for a lot of folks in Christianity today. The Bible has no mistakes in it. Well, the Bible's written by guys like me. Guys like you. God gave them an idea and they put it down. But it was written by people like you and me. Just as corrupt. Get things wrong. But it was written by humans. Inspired by God, but still written by humans. So there is human error in it. The Bible is not meant to contradict science. It reflects the understanding of the time period when it was written. You know, we have people around us today who insist that the earth is flat because the Old Testament says it's flat. But that was just the understanding that they had of that day. So the Bible's not meant to contradict science. It's not meant to say anything about science. It's, meant, it's not meant to be inflexible. It's a teaching tool. God chooses to speak to us through it. You all know I'm an absolute Bible freak. I've been chewed out for, all you do is talk about the Bible in your church. Yeah. I kid you not, I've had people walk out of membership classes because there's too much Bible teaching. All right. Here's the question. Is the Bible the word of God? Yes or no? Buckle up. Here it comes. According to the Bible, the Bible is not the word of God. Now, I don't know if I need to administer oxygen to anybody or not. Looks like we're doing okay. According to the Bible, the Bible is not the word of God. Look at the first chapter of the Gospel of John. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. Really hard wording in Greek and in English on this thing. Really hard to understand. It implies the word had eternal coexistence with God. That means no beginning and no end, and I cannot wrap my brain around that. I've been trying for 50 years and thinking about it, I think my head's going to explode. I cannot comprehend it, can't wrap my mind around it, but it's a mystery of the faith that I choose to accept, but I can't understand it. 
Then the next verse says this, God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. See, so the word is with God in the beginning. Book of Genesis tells us that God spoke and things were created. God said, let there be light and there is light and he created all kinds of things except for mosquitoes, the devil created them. But there's all these things that God did just by speaking them into existence. His word was a creative force. And uh, then if you skip a few verses, go down to verse 14 of John 1. So the word became human. He made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Since the word became human. That means that Jesus is the word and his unfailing love and faithfulness is with us as the Father's one and only Son. Jesus is the word of God. The Bible is not the word of God. The Bible is a collection of writings that point to Jesus. Writings we would do well to understand better. The Gospel of John talks about why it was written. And he's very clear about that. Chapter 20, Jesus worked many other miracles for his disciples, and not all of them are written in this book. But these are written so that you will put your faith in Jesus as the Messiah and the Son of God. If you have faith in him, you will have true life. See, not everything about Jesus is in the Bible. But what's there is there to give you faith. John says something very similar in his very last paragraph of his gospel. He says, Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. Don't take that literally, of course. It wasn't intended for that. But there's lots of things that Jesus did that we don't even know about. So here's what I have to say about this. Get to know the whole Bible as much as you can, as often as you can. Read it, study it. It will result in a vibrant and solid faith, the kind of faith we all want to have. The Jeremiah Bible study that's going on right now, it's, for me, the most fascinating part of it is the surprised looks on the faces of people as they read Jeremiah as they learn about the background of Jeremiah. There's all kinds of stuff that's life-transforming in that Old Testament prophet book. There's a whole other world in there, and I think we all need to get to know it. In your bulletins, there's this Bible reading plan. I've been following this since the mid-'70s. And if you want a month at a time, they're on the table in the back. You can also get it on our website. Because I follow this thing, I have read through the Old Testament 18 times since I was a college student. And 69 times I've read through the New Testament. So there's not a lot in there that I don't know about. I recommend the New Living Translation for, as a study Bible. And if you want easy reading, I like the message. The thing is, <clears throat> after all these years, it still changes me. Every time, every time I pick up a New Testament, it still changes me. 
If I could turn all of you into regular Bible readers, it would be, <clears throat> it would be one of the greatest gifts I could give you. And that's what I want to do. Just, if, you, if this looks overwhelming to you, just do the New Testament part. Take you five minutes a day, and it will change your life. What are the benefits of becoming a regular Bible reader? Well, one is you won't be a jerk anymore. It'll change you. You'll be kind to the community. You'll change the reputation of the church if you live by the simple commandment of Jesus, which is this, treat others as you want them to treat you. This is what the Bible's all about. Plus, you're going to be able to see through false teaching, which abounds right now. You've all heard that the world's going to end because of what's going on in Israel, right? That's not true. And everybody who's predicted the end of the world so far has been wrong. But the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible looks at prophecy completely different than that. I had, I was channel surfing the other night. I ran across a program where some guy from California said that the thing going on in Israel is a sign that there's a coming zombie apocalypse. And so you need to start building up your immunity to zombie bites. And then he had a very pious prayer. Well, I'm still getting over that one. But it is an amazing thing. If you really get into your Bibles, it'll reduce your fear and it'll strengthen your faith. It's a great gift from God. So get into it. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, we're thankful for that book you've given us that we call the Bible. And my prayer is that all of us open our hearts and minds to what's in it. Should we let it speak to us, let it bless us, and let us move us forward in faith. Amen.